Thousands of residents in Wuhan protesting a lockdown mandate. The gathering may mark the largest demonstration the city has seen in three years. Locals in another city questioning authorities over following the rules. We look at what happened to make them lift lockdown orders. A U.S. anti-missile system moving into a South Korean military base. And in Tokyo, U.S. officials boosting maritime ties with Japan and the Philippines. Might does not make right, and we do not shy away from calling out Beijing's provocative. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Several thousand residents in Wuhan City took to the streets over the weekend, protesting the local COVID-19 driven lockdown. The city's Penlongchen Economic Development Zone has been under lockdown for 10 days. Local residents said there are no virus cases in many of the area's residential compounds. Yet they've been confined to their homes for days, with no end in sight. Some face losing their jobs as a result. We have been under lockdown for about 10 days. Our community is under the most strict measures. Our community said that there was a positive case. Those who sell vegetables can still come into the area, but we can't stand the high prices. Residents from at least four neighborhoods came out to protest. Online videos show a large number of police were deployed on site. After the protest, police made several arrests. The next day, the local Epidemic Prevention and Control Office issued a letter to residents, saying control measures would be adjusted. The office did not give a specific time frame for lifting the lockdown. Despite the lockdown, reports from inside China may hint at another reason for the protest. Based on videos circulating through Chinese social media, one residential compound in southern China was recently put under lockdown. Some residents there stockpiled large amounts of supplies and groceries and later started selling them inside the compound. Security took issue with the makeshift businesses and told them to stop. But the residents continued. The security guards soon called in reinforcements, called the Chengguan for help. Formally called Urban Administrative and Law Enforcement, Chengguan are not official police officers, but they enjoy similar authority. Once they arrived on site, the Chengguan began confiscating the groceries. But as they were about to leave, some residents brought up the lockdown policy for their compound. They noted the area was enter-only and that once inside, no one is allowed to leave, meaning the Chengguan should then have to quarantine as well. The crowd urged them to quarantine on site. In an attempt to handle the situation, the Chengguan workers compromised with residents and lifted the compound's lockdown orders. A long line spotted in Shanghai, packed with people waiting to buy from a bakery. But besides the food, they say they're looking to fight against what they call local authorities' unfair punishment and return the favor of kindness they received from the business lockdown orders. Let's zoom in. Authorities are slapping one Shanghai bakery with a fine for doing business during the city's extended COVID-19 lockdown this spring. But residents are pushing back. 
To show their support for the business called Paris Baguette, locals are lining up to shop there and posting their tasty treats online. Many are also urging authorities to revoke the penalty. Paris Baguette is a Korean bakery chain. Shanghai authorities accuse the store of quote producing goods in violation of city rules. They're making the business forfeited four days' worth of income, and issued a fine valued at 10 times daily income. On the other hand, residents are calling Paris Baguette a company of conscience. That's because it offered to feed people at normal and fair prices during lockdown orders. That's compared to the city's officially designated group food purchases arranged by authorities. Prices for those goods were expensive, often multiple times higher than normal. Residents under lockdown had little choice but to buy from them anyway. Overall, Paris Baguette is facing nearly $95,000 in fines, but the incident seems to have garnered the company some good publicity. Next, we shift to South Korea. That's where a high-tech U.S. missile defense system has been moved into a military base. Vehicles carrying the equipment enter the Songjo base Sunday night. The anti-missile system is known as THAAD. Its installation was one of President Yoon Suk-yeol's campaign promises and part of his pledge to take a tougher stance on North Korea. South Korea installed part of the THAAD in 2017, looking to counter nuclear and missile threats from North Korea. But the move drew anger from China, which claimed the system could threaten its own security. Because of it, former South Korean President Moon Jae-in promised not to deploy any additional THAAD systems. But Yoon, the current president, has vowed stronger cooperation with Washington, including acquiring more THAAD equipment to respond to North Korea's growing nuclear threat. The U.S. is boosting its maritime security ties with more countries in the Indo-Pacific region. On Tuesday, a meeting was held in Tokyo by diplomats and defense officers from the three countries. No one nation should be able to dominate Indo-Pacific waters through coercion and outright intimidation. Might does not make right, and we do not shy away from calling out Beijing's provocative actions. The U.S. called out recent actions from Beijing, like the militarization of maritime spaces, harassment of foreign fishermen and other civilian vessels, and the depletion of maritime resources. China has been swiftly strengthening its military might. It clocks in as spending the second most on military of any nation in the world, second only to the U.S. The Solomon Islands says it plans to lift a ban on foreign Navy ships entering its ports soon though Australia and New Zealand have already been named as exemptions. Last week, the Solomon Islands suspended port visits by four Navy ships. That's after it didn't answer a U.S. Coast Guard vessel's request to refuel. The move raised alarms about the island's growing ties to Beijing. The island nation has been a point of contention between the U.S., China and Australia. It has deep ports that are ideal for military bases and used to serve as a strategic headquarters for Japan and the UK when they controlled the Pacific. Back in World War II, the Solomon Islands was also a critical battlefield between the Allies and Japan. The Solomon Islands has been growing closer to Beijing. In 2019, it switched its diplomatic allegiance from Taiwan to Beijing. And this April, it signed a security deal with the Chinese regime. The West has raised concerns that the deal could lead to a Chinese military base on the island, located just over a thousand miles off Australia's shores. 
At a press conference, Australia's foreign minister was asked if she's disappointed that the U.S. is not yet exempt from the Solomon Islands ban. Solomon Islands is making a, has indicated publicly they're making a, a decision on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, they are a sovereign nation and, and they're you know, that's a that's a matter for them. What I, what I would say is that you know the U.S. has a long history of presence in the Pacific, going back to World War II. During World War II, American soldiers fought and died to free the Solomon Islands from Japan. Known as the Battle of Guadalcanal, it was one of the most critical military campaigns of the war. Wong said the U.S. ambassador to Australia, Carolyn Kennedy, visited the Solomon Islands to commemorate the battle. She added that the U.S. is part of the history of the region, as well as a part of the present and the future of the region. To further bolster U.S. presence in the Pacific, President Biden will host a summit of island leaders in Washington later this month. The meeting aims to counter China's growing impact on the region. The White House says the summit will discuss climate change, economic recovery, maritime security and other issues. Twelve Pacific Island nations have received invitations. Among the invitees is also the Solomon Islands, a focal point of the power struggle between China and the United States in the Pacific. The island nation broke away from Taiwan in 2019 in favor of Beijing. In April of this year, it further reached a security agreement with China. As of now, the White House has not yet disclosed what countries have confirmed their attendance at the summit. And in Europe, Germany says it plans to show more muscle in the Indo-Pacific region, joining other Western nations in an effort to counter Beijing's growing ambitions. Last year, Berlin sent its first warship in almost 20 years to the disputed waters of the South China Sea. Germany's defense chief recently said that Berlin would send out more warships and join drills with allies like Australia in the coming years. Tensions in the Indo-Pacific are especially high after China carried out its largest ever military drills around Taiwan at the start of August. Asked whether Germany might send a warship through the Taiwan Strait, the German defense chief said it was a sensitive matter to be decided at the highest political level. Germany has historically been more timid with China. The country has been Germany's largest economic partner since 2015. Last year alone, China and Germany exchanged almost $270 billion worth of goods. Germany is Europe's largest economy and one of the United States' top allies in the region. China's drug regulator approved an inhalable COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use over the weekend, but no data is publicly available about its efficacy and safety. The Chinese company that develops the vaccine is called CanSino. They say it's taken by mouth from a nebulizer. It's a device that turns liquid medicine into mist and allows it to be absorbed easily into the lungs. The drug is being touted as the first of its kind. Additional administrative approvals are still needed before it goes to market. The company says sales will depend on the COVID-19 situation at home and abroad, as well as China's vaccination rate. CanSino says their inhaled vaccine can induce strong immunity, but didn't provide any data to support their claim. Coming up from COVID-19 testing to ancestry kits, your DNA could end up in the hands of Beijing. Is that something to worry about? Find out more after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What do COVID-19 and ancestry testing have in common? Well, they both collect our DNA, and both industries often trace back to China. Some companies have been making headlines, such as the Beijing Genomics Institute, or BGI, for opening labs in the U.S. during the pandemic. But what's the concern here? Earlier, we spoke to John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy at the Department of Defense, for a clearer picture. Well, uh, I'm first of all concerned as a uh, just a risk as an individual. You are giving data to essentially Chinese state intelligence. Uh, we have to presume at this point in time in the year 2022 that essentially the the civil military fusion of China has used their their break and enter capabilities to go inside the networks of any of these gene companies. So, if even if it's an American company, we just I'm Paul, I'm sorry, we just have to presume, just like any other firm of any other sector. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming. China has probably broken in and stolen information or, or, if nothing else, observed and collected what's going on. So I think that's uh, that's one of the first concerns. Uh, now, second, with BGI, now I noticed uh, even the, the New York Times had an article of, of grave concern very recently about them. The National Counterintelligence Executive uh, also expressed concern. That's a U.S. government activity that leads counterintelligence for the entire United States government expressed concern uh, and specifically over these companies like BGI. I would suggest, so we got the threat to the person, we got the threat to the, the essentially the country. Um, third, they're exfiltrating, uh, you know, exfiltrating this to essentially create, uh, as we've talked about before, digital twins of us. And fourth, you know, the Wuhan virus, uh, if they can create and engineer a virus, we're at the point where basically you can learn with enough data, and this is all about data, big data, big data analytics, that you can configure and target a follow-on release of a virus to a specific gene set. And John, really quickly on the first point you brought up, so it sounds like even if these, say, American companies aren't actively handing, say, Americans' information over, the Chinese regime can still access that. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, there is so much overwhelming evidence out in the unclassified open source world at this point in time for any company to not believe, oh, why would China break into us? What are we, we don't, you know, we don't have to worry about this. China is collecting information and intelligence and also setting these companies up to be put out of business. So they should be concerned because that's what China did with sector out of sector in America, starting with textiles back in the uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. But uh, all the different electronic sectors, drones, uh, et cetera, et cetera, they have devastated, uh, devastated American economic sector after economic sector. So for a company to say, well, you know, we have uh, we're we're meeting all these NIST standards on cybersecurity, therefore we're safe. No, just because you meet these standards doesn't mean you're safe. You need to presume at this point in time, China has broken into your networks. Uh, I'm sorry, that is, that is there's overwhelming evidence out there that that's the case. And so in terms of this genetic material, people's DNA, what can the Chinese regime do with that kind of information? 
Well, one, create a digital twin of us so they know about every one of us. I would presume that I have a fi file in China. You probably have a file too, uh, Tiffany. And uh, this is that they have the capacity and the capability to create these complex models of each of us. So, so they're making digital twins of us. So what do they do? They can do all kinds of nefarious things. You know, back in the 90s, before 9-11, we were going, why would somebody want to break into the cockpit of an airplane, you know, in flight? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Well, we found out. Same here. There's all kinds of nefarious things that we're not even thinking about that they, they can be doing with no constraint of law. So they, they have our data, but also the tailoring of a follow-on release of a virus for certain perhaps non-Han uh, ethnicities so that a, a virus can be tailored at everybody but core Han ethnicity. All of this is beginning to be in the realm of the possible. And so going back to BGI really quickly, there is reports and evidence that since 2010, the company has been working with the Chinese military, especially in terms of getting genomic, uh, genomic information from fetuses and newborns. So with that kind of partnership, what are we expecting to happen then? Well, I, I, uh, every Chinese company that is incorporated in China, including an incorporation of an American origin company that has to incorporate in China to operate in China, they just have to be considered part of the Chinese civil military fusion operation. So there is no difference. They are extensions of state security, state intelligence. And they, they are the eyes and the ears and the collectors. I, I'm, I'm sorry, this is that we have to just be realistic on these matters. So I'm also concerned that BGI and others are, are essentially skirting and probing U.S. law um, uh, for the gray areas, just like land purchases are kind of a seam line where they can get around the CFIUS oversight, which has been rolled into the 2018 FIRMA law. Uh, I think they're, they're, the, these gene companies are, are essentially exploiting gray area in U.S. law. So I think we need to uh, look at this area closer because uh, I'm sure and with their track record, they are, they're playing our seam lines against us. And so given that from the individual level, say here in America, what can people do to protect either their digital identities or their actual DNA information? If you are a media, media personality, if you are now or have been related to the US government, I would simply not do DNA testing. Uh, you know, because there's all these these firms that offer it, so you can kind of trace your heritage. Sounds great. You can identify your family tree. Wonderful. That is not a good idea. That is not a good idea in in current affairs. So I would not do that. I would uh, be, be aware that just anything you do digitally online is being vacuumed up. Also, in addition to your DNA, all your medical records. I would I would very closely safeguard them. And 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 again, the basics. The basics apply for us at home, just like in the U.S. government, 97% of the threat of actual breaches comes from failure to uh, use two-factor, um, spear phishing, and the witting insider, okay? That's an insider who leaves the door unlocked in cyber terms, leaves the door unlocked 
so a threat can come in uh, the back door. So again, at home, try to always uh, use two-factor for any of your logons. That you know, there's there's all kinds of ways to do two-factor, but not just not just username and password. Username, password, and then you essentially are validated through your telephone, your mobile phone number. That's much harder to breach that. Uh, watch your incoming emails and be very uh, lean toward uh, labeling most things. If you don't recognize it, label it as junk. Do not open. Do not click on a link. Uh, and then the third one, it's hard for us to do anything about, but um, it's uh, knowing these. I deal more with brand name companies because they have a brand name to protect and they are, are to protect their 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 the, the survival of the company share price etc they are going to be more rigorous about ensuring everybody who works for them is trusted at this point in time uh, any of these chinese uh, companies from the from ccp led china have to be considered a national security risk and uh, we can't give them a pass and uh, uh, i think it's very unwise to get them in the cuz just like biological warfare they've said this in their doctrine and their writings Biological warfare is the strategic commanding heights of showdown with America. They have no problem uh, with a messy release. Uh, uh, if a messy release, uh, they'll, t they'll accept casualties on their side. If it takes out 50 million people worldwide, they don't, you know, they don't care. So I think we need to be extremely, extremely concerning because they look at biological warfare, which is a foundation for the, the key information of biological warfare. Um, so we have to look at that as a threat. This is feeding them, and they look at that as the strategic commanding heights of showdown with the West, mainly America. John, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Tiffany. Always an honor to be with you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow. Shen Yun Creations, the streaming platform from Shen Yun, featuring world-class dance, past programs, and all original music. Masterclasses, behind the scenes, comedy, and more. Explore Shenyuncreations.com.